have Shane Feria. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Taylor. Happy to be here. Yes, of course. Um, so you work for Tiki. That is correct. Do you guys go by like Tiki, Tiki Nashville, like just Tiki? Just Tiki's Tiki's. cool on the bit on the business paperwork. It's Tiki Inc., but just Tiki. Nice and simple. Yeah. What is it that you guys do? We are infrastructure for basically a new data economy is one way of thinking about it. Um, the product we're building right now, uh, the best way to picture this is sometime in the future when you sign up for Netflix or Spotify or anything that you currently already use, there's going to be a little pop-up that says, hey, do you want 10% off your Netflix subscription in exchange for your watch history data or your listening history data on Spotify or your in-app activity on Waze? You know, it's completely customizable, can be, you know, loyalty points, NFTs, exclusive features, stuff like that. So we build the stuff to make that type of exchange possible, basically. Okay. Yeah. Well, data is such a, a hot topic. It is. Especially, I feel like, with people of our generation, kind of the millennial mindset, because before us, it wasn't really a thing because things like Facebook and social media weren't a thing. Mm-hmm. But we're giving up so much of our info right now. We're signing it away without even knowing it. Like 10 years ago, we had no idea. Like exactly. Facebook came out when I was a sophomore in high school. No idea. <laughs> Not even the slightest mm -hmm. that we were giving up all of our information. Um, what exactly can they see? Like... Who, when thinking about someone like TikTok, I know they are really like baked in as far as being able to see all of your personal information. Right. So like, what is the, the craziest thing that the, the average person listening to this would be shocked to know that a company might know about them? I mean, maybe not a company, but you can buy pretty much someone's social security number on the internet for like four bucks. Really? Yeah. So... Pretty much everything's out there. I think I don't want part of my job is to not scare people and make it accessible. But part of it is also to make people understand the gravity of the situation. And so I would say, like, assume if you've done it and there's technology attached to it and an Internet connection, someone somewhere has it, yes. probably multiple entities. Um, who knows? Uh, everything that we do, you know, you got you got a Fitbit sweet like there's your heart rate someone has right yeah. yeah exactly you know ways driving around so okay that's where you are at all times right uh you want to do your dna test you know 23 and me and get that in the mail now someone has your genome so like we've jumped the shark like we, every everything's out there everything well there's an, an aspect too of this going across like all, all over the world because it's China, Russia, they're all interested in getting everybody's just like America is. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Like we right. are very interested right. in that. But why wouldn't they try and get it? You know what I mean? Exactly. I feel like this is just a modern warf warfare 2.0, you know, to really to to not have to fire a gun or a rocket or a missile or anything like that. Right. You can figure out the way a country is going to respond to an event by how they're living their lives. Exactly. Predictive analytics, something that's been, been around for a long time, predictive analytics, but that's what you described, right? 
you can run a model on an individual. Um, people like you, right? So not only do they know what you might do next, but they know people who are like you and what they might do next. Um, and you can do a model on population and see how they res they'll respond to things. Like you said, like, for example, you know, uh, a new novel virus hits the world. You can predict that model before it happens, essentially. Now, humans are, at the end of the day, not completely predictable. So you can't run an algorithm and know 100% certainty what people are going to do. Um, there's that free will argument there. Um, but you get a pretty good guess if you have enough information. And the, the thing about having a lot of information is not only can you figure out what people are likely to do, but if you don't like what they're likely to do, you can nudge them in a direction that better suits you, right? So that's a thing called digital nudging right where you know you want someone to think a certain way like uh, that you want to think about this this opinion on talking point a right someone has an interest in you wanting to know about talking point a well let's just you know get the first couple search results in google to say that you know let's boost up a post to the top of your feed that is more likely to put you in a condition to want to entertain a thought and then right under that we'll put that thought right so little things like that um it's mostly mega corporations that do this, right? Um, that have all of this power, all of this money, governments, who knows, you know, I'm sure I don't want to get in trouble, but I can say with pretty, I can say in a lot of confidence that major tech companies and governments are working in cahoots, uh, who knows to what extent. Um, but certainly when, you know, Facebook is like the biggest data accumulation tool of all time, Right. If you're the United States government, if you're a person and you think the government's not like, hey, like, shoot me over some data. You don't know anything about history. <laughs> exactly. Well, the, the one constant throughout human history has been tyranny. <laughs> Among other things. Among certainly... <laughs> other things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's love and stuff like that. But um, there's never been. Let me rephrase that. There's never been a time in human history where there hasn't been tyranny. Correct. Correct. There's, n there's not been a time in human history where someone's been like, you know what? I have too much power. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's almost like with the COVID thing too. It's like you brought up COVID. Um, with that, you, we really saw people just completely divided. Yep. Like split. Yep. And I personally am, am pretty much right down the middle. I'll, I'll listen to anyone and hear what they have to say. But it just got too crazy. There was a point, and I was working at a news radio station at the time, and I had, I had to stop listening to the news and seeing the headlines and hearing about it because it, it started to get so uh, toxic for my spiritual being. Right. Because I noticed that I, I think it's, it's human nature to start grouping, grouping off the us versus them mm -hmm. and everybody is guilty of it to a certain degree whether it's red sox yankees yeah or democrats republicans mm -hmm. black white whatever and with covid it really like everybody was at home mm -hmm. everybody was online everybody was working from home and the world changed Correct. So how long has Tiki existed for? Like, what was the seed of the idea to, to start it? 
So technically we've been around for two years. The idea of it is the brainchild of my co-founder, actually the founder and CEO. Uh, his name is Mike and he's worked with big data infrastructure for a huge chunk of his life. And so he's been involved in the bad parts of data and really getting to see and understand just how much data companies have, how much they value it, how poorly they protect it, what they will do to get it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he really comes from the mindset that all of the things that we hate about the internet are a product of unfair exchange of data. And he always thought about, well, how can users own their own data and how can we fix this trade? And for a long time, he didn't think it was possible because he didn't think people cared. Um, he didn't think enough people cared about the problem. Um, a big catalyst was his dad, who is like off the boat Italian, lived in some remote Italian village where you got to like park your car and walk like four miles down crazy paths up a mountainside to get to this village. So he's the last person who's going to be talking about data privacy issues. But he asked him, hey, what's going on with WhatsApp? Why are people leaving WhatsApp? And back in, I think, either 2019 or 2020, a bunch of people were voting with their feet, essentially leaving WhatsApp over privacy policy issues and going to applications like Signal and Telegram, which offer, you know, end-to-end -end encryption on messages. So, you know, people can't look in theory. People can't look in and see your message. So people are like, fuck this, WhatsApp. I don't want you snooping in on me. Like, we're going to go over here instead. And from that, he was like, oh, damn. People actually are starting to care. And culturally, the statistics would back up that more and more people actually care about privacy. In terms of doing something about it, that's a different story. Um, most people, so most people sort of have like a deus ex machina expectation if something is going to happen, like something's going to come down and fix it. Like the government's going to fix things and make it better. The Messiah um, complex. Yeah. It's like the deus ex machina is like a thing from old like Greek dramas and like Roman dramas where the end of the play was just like some crazy machinery brought this, you know, ethereal God being into it. And they're like, all right, like everyone's dead or, oh, oh God's here now. This, these people fell in love. So they would bring a resolution to a very complicated and complex issue with just like, oh, here it is. Here's one thing that fixes it. Right. Um, and so that's the part of it that needs addressing. So people care, but there's no one fix all thing that's going to untangle this, especially when a lot of the stuff that, you know, the band-aids, I would say, to fix the problem right now are like either shut all data off so no one gets any data, right? Or just let everything be completely open-ended and everything out there completely for the rest of time. <laughs> Before we get too deep into this conversation, yeah. can you give a definition of what you mean when you say data? Data is just a historical record of something that happened. It could be the beginning of this sentence is data or something happening in the universe, like the speed of light 
a billion years ago is data, right? Um, me knocking on this table is data. Your name is data. This podcast your, is data. This podcast is data. Your heartbeat is data. It's just a historical record of something that happened. So data is everything that has happened prior to this moment and even predictions of what things will be in the future. From past data. Correct. Yeah. So like what, what exactly are these companies looking at and what are they doing with the data? So I think one thing to get clear is most, most companies aren't looking to use data in a malicious way. Yeah. They're looking to make money. Correct. Or they're trying to make something better, you know, like to get money, you want to have a better product and service. And so you use data to figure out how to make better decisions faster. That's really what data is ultimately used for, right? You want to test out an advertisement, right? You put the advertisement out there. You want to be able to look in real time if it's working, where it's working, who's looking at it, how long they're spending on it. Did they click off and do something else? Did they go through a flow that eventually led them to purchasing a product? Does that work against this other advertisement, right? So you want to be able to optimize in real time to understand who your customer is. And so from a business perspective, that's really what companies are doing and looking for with data ideally like if they knew a lot of companies don't know what to do yeah um but that's generally like no one's out there like i mean there are corporations i would say out there who are like trying to fuck with you right but most companies are just trying to understand money they're trying to understand you better so they can make money correct yeah yeah and i what's crazy is they can find out they probably already know this like the average resting heart rate of someone who has a savings account at bank of america yeah or or something like that yeah you can you can find that if you want to probably yeah Yeah. and that's insane to think about and like part of me is like that's really fucked up but the other part of me is like that's honestly i understand because i like business i like sales i like all of that so it's like you want to continually get better Mm -hmm. you know you don't want to go backwards Mm -hmm. um especially in the Western world, in American culture in particular, that's mm-hmm. that's what it is. It's always about improvement and beating the last quarter, beating last year, which there is something admirable about that. Mm-hmm. It keeps it keeps the wheels turning, but I don't think it's right that people don't know what they're giving up. Correct. Like I don't think it's right that people can just sign up for something that they think is a service like a banking app or Starbucks or any of that. And then like, like can they look into your emails? Like, do they have access to that? Like what are the, the user, these user agreements? I don't even know what most of them include. They're pages and pages long and there's no way to decipher them. I I feel like almost that should be something that's legislated. Mm -hmm. Like you have to have some kind of table of, contents or something like that what do you think about that terms and service and privacy policies are a huge reason why we're in this mess in the first place is because they're written by lawyers in a way that guarantees that if someone sues them the company wins always so it's always confusing you always got to go to like menu seven subsection five article two point a point you know whatever 
to figure out like, hey, if you use this service, then we get to look into your, you know, uh, your photo library and figure out, you know, the geolocation of where you were when you took this photo. It's buried in there somewhere in some phraseology that you're not going to bother to read. And it's designed in a way that to make it so you're very unlikely to read it in the first place. Um, on the other hand, it's pretty hard to regulate what you can and can't do inside of an application when technically we've all agreed to this. So where do you draw the line in terms of what can you do and what can you not do when someone clicks a box and said, says, yes, you can do that. It's tough. Well, especially now, the cat is kind of already out of the bag and there's no putting it back in. Right. And like you were saying earlier, it's not necessarily malicious, but I feel like the malicious piece is that it just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Like I've had Facebook since I was a minor. Right. You know what I mean? I feel like there should be some kind of something against that. Some, some kind of regulation, but most of the, uh, most of the people I feel like in government, they're, they're old. They have no idea. It was a couple of years ago when the, the whole Mark Zuckerberg going, I think it was maybe to, to Congress happened. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they didn't even know the questions to ask him. Correct. You know, they had no idea. And I feel like as our generation starts to age, I mean, the baby boomers are honestly going to live forever <laughs> now. Let's be real. But as our generation starts to age and we get into these positions of power, I wonder how much of this is going to change. How much of it do you think will change? From a legislative perspective, it's tough to say because government moves so slowly and technology moves as fast as you can fucking fathom yeah so like by the time a law gets passed it's like that's not even fucking relevant anymore we're already in the metaverse bro like you're trying to regulate fucking myspace you know that that's that's how it feels (laughs) well just imagine what's gonna happen to you once things go into this whole ai direction right of things like the metaverse Mm -hmm. you know like what do you do you do you also give up digital rights you know like in the metaverse are you like yeah i won't i don't even know i can't even fathom what that can even be in terms of data or privacy what are your what is your optimism and what is your fear around this topic my optimism is really rooted around the statistics that i see in terms of people caring about their privacy the awareness is higher right now than it's ever been People want things to change. They're just unsure of what that change looks like. Um, So that's part of what we're building is we're building that solution. We're trying to build a solution or something that will help push this in the right direction. Now, five years from now, I could look back on it and be like, oh, damn, we made things worse. I really can't say. Yeah. Um, But what, what we're ultimately trying to do is give users the choice. Privacy is a sliding scale. Like, Privacy to me is different than privacy to you. You may, may feel comfortable sharing something that I don't want anyone in the world to know. So we're trying to build something that lets you decide, I want to share this with this company for this purpose for this long, and in return, I want this. And they, be, they might be like, nah, I don't want this, um, but I'll give you that. And you negotiate back and forth, and then you figure out what's called fair market value. Yeah. Yeah. So 
There's no fair market value for data because historically only businesses have valued data. People don't know what their data is worth. So in this negotiation, people can figure it out. That's a positive, like best case scenario for what we're trying to do. For data at large, it's like a lot of people want to talk about the terrible things that you can do with data. And even before I'm talking about data use cases in terms of like improving a business or improving, uh, you know, products and services. But how about curing cancer? How about predicting someone's going to get sick before they get sick? Um, basically, the entire world runs on data. So any problem that's out there can be solved more efficiently with the use of the right data. Um, so a world where people have choice and have agency and are able to understand what their data is worth and use that to benefit not only themselves on an individual level, but their family, their community, their state, their nation, the world. Like those are all realistic things that can happen if we collaborate in a way like that. Um, the worst case scenario is that, you know, we just become the singularity happens. We merge with robots. We give away all of our rights. We forget our own history. We don't understand where we came from. We become dependent on the machine and it's just, you know, the, fu the fucking matrix. That Dystopian <laughs> technocracy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that to me is probably the worst case scenario. Um, like, like I said before, people willingly give their DNA to people in the mail. Yeah. You're giving your genome away. So who has access to that? Okay, they understand how your body works. So if I want to know how to kill you in the most efficient way possible, you specifically, Taylor Berryman, yeah. I can do that because you gave me your genome, right? So those are the worst case scenarios, right? What's the worst way you can use any point of data? That's the worst case scenario. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it's like why wouldn't the FBI or the CIA try and figure that out? Right. You know what I mean? Like why wouldn't they... If some in some remote European country they do like Ancestry.com or some bullshit, why wouldn't they try to either A, hack and get into it or just buy it? Like when people you, – you mentioned towards the beginning of this conversation that you can just buy someone's social security on the internet, yep. like social security number. Yep. Is that on – like the black market or the dark web, or is that something that you can just find on like a message board on 4chan? You know what I mean? More likely a black market, but probably also on 4chan as well. Yeah. You know, it's very illegal. So you want to be on a type of, you know, thing that can't trace back to you. Yes. So fools may try to sell that on, you know, Reddit or 4chan, but like, a social security number for $4 is the truth and also an accurate re representation of just like how much is out there, right? People are like, I don't want to give away my email address. It's like, that's been gone. <laughs> yeah. That's been out of your hands for years. So start figure out something else to do. That's what we're trying to do. Well, it depends too, even on who you're using for your, your email. Right. I like, I have Gmail, but I'm probably giving up so much fucking information to them. They they probably know my entire like search history, market all sorts of shit to me. Yep. And I want to say that advertisements don't work on me, but I, I don't know that to be the actual truth. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if I see, if I'm scrolling on Instagram and I see 
a Zaxby's fucking ad or some shit like that. Who's to say that I didn't have Zaxby's in the next 24 hours? Right. Right. Advertisements aren't inherently bad. No. Don't you want it to be advertised the things that you want and like? Yes, absolutely. For yeah. sure. <laughs> but I think what's what's creepy is the the subliminal effect that technology kind of has now. Yep. I think that's what really spooks me out about it. But on the other hand, it's like, what can you really do other than what you guys are trying to do? You know what I mean? It, it seems like we're kind of getting to this point now where everybody is just burned out culturally. And you look back, back at other generations in America, and of course... There was other times that, that were really flawed in this country in particular. But we also defeated the Nazis. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like, we did have the fucking Civil Rights March mm -hmm. and, and other things of that nature. Where it's like we made these lines in the sand and we're like, we're not going to cross these. Mm -hmm. But we also... You look at the past couple of years, and this is not even speaking politically, but going back to what I was saying earlier about how people were treating each other, mm -hmm. people in their own families. Um, and like you can blame an algorithm for that, yes, but I wonder how much of that is just human nature is being revealed to us now. Yeah, I mean, for example, right? the news stories that you most frequently see are very divisive. They have very shocking titles and they paint a clear us versus them narrative. Well, it's like back in the day, you used to buy a newspaper. You used to buy a magazine. You give money to this publication and if the magazine sucked, you wouldn't buy the magazine anymore. Then the internet came along and pretty much everything was for free. So the newspaper died, the magazine died, everything went digital. And so people are like, okay, like I can't make money off this free article. Let's pay to have advertisers on the article. And they're like, okay, the advertiser gives me more money depending on how many clicks come on the article. What generates the most clicks? It's the divisive stuff, the provocative stuff, the sexy stuff, all of that. So that is human nature. Um, but the original idea wasn't like, let's divide the world. The original idea was, how do we make money from advertisers? And it just so happened that the thing that made the most money from advertisers is the most catastrophic thing to the structure of society. <laughs> I have a friend who is uh, a journalist, and he tells me all the time that what he does is, is clickbait. Yeah. Like, he's like, straight up, I write clickbait. And he... he He's like no bones about it. He's he's a genius writer, very talented. Um, and he writes his, his own books and, and all of that. Like he's an author, but his day job is being a journalist. Mm -hmm. And he tells me all sorts of stories. And things are just so skewed um, because they're really grasping at straws. The thing I can kind of compare it to is music as well. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of... Nashville is a great example. Like, what do people come here for? They come here for the brand of country music mm -hmm. and the brand of the country lifestyle. 
which when you really live here, yes, that's a part of Nashville. But most of the people that I know in Nashville, like you and me, for instance, we're both New Englanders. Yeah. You know, like that. That's not really a lifestyle I personally grew yeah. up with. Outside of Broadway, there's shockingly few cowboy hats yes. in Nashville. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it's like there's so much great stuff going on here musically and i'm going on a tangent right now and i don't even know how i got to this point but like the the music that i love here the most it's the black keys jack white kg elephant rock bands that is my taste that is what i'm into i'm into rock music Mm -hmm. but there is this big shiny mickey mouse version of the music industry that's here Mm -hmm. and music row have you been down Music Row? Do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Music Row has continued to shrink as the years have gone on. And the, the, like country music is the one form of music now that has a built-in fan base. Mm-hmm. And in terms of music, I, I I would love to see more of a a free market economy, which we, we are kind of there, to be honest, because people... Like, you can be into some small indie band, and maybe 50 people are into it in that town, but they can go there, play a small venue, sell out, and sell all mm-hmm. of their t-shirts, mm-hmm. you know? You can do that with data. Yeah. How so? <laughs> if you know where your fans are located, like Spotify, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. Know? Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I'm getting the most plays in Dubuque, Iowa. Well, there's a... Do you know Rodriguez? Yes, Right? Yeah. Can you imagine if he knew that people were going to love Sugar Man where they loved him before he went? <laughs> Explain the story of Rodriguez. I don't think I can do it justice. Okay. Well, here. I, I can tell some of it and you could bounce bounce off. Okay. Of so Rodriguez was an artist from the 70s, correct? I believe so. Um, And he didn't have much of a career at his time of releasing records. He is a superstar in South Africa and he was working as like a construction worker. I think he was in like his fifties whenever he found out that he was like, could sell out soccer stadiums in South Africa. Yeah. Like somehow one of his records had like gone on a trade ship and arrived in South Africa and someone found it in a record shop and started getting picked up at radio stations and he was like the number one guy in south africa i think it's out there is that accurate yeah south africa um, i think that you know it's a story like that you know some just some copy got there and people loved it and he was like the number one guy but this was like the 60s or 70s right so there's no facebook there's no way of knowing that whole oh, shit my fans are here right so that's a cool thing that you can do with data you can do that on a different scale with music as well like there's really cool things happening involving data in web three if you've heard that term technology what is web three it's basically just like the internet decentralized you know um the main like web two is the internet that we're on now where basically five companies control everything right so web three's effort is really to try to decentralize the internet um one cool thing that's happening is i came across this article uh i believe it was on I think it was on Billboard. It's about this artist named OMG Kirby. And OMG Kirby is an engineer who also makes electronic music. And 
he understood sort of the hype behind NFTs. And so we actually utilize NFTs and I can explain that later, but an NFT non-fungible token. If you've ever been on Twitter, it's people believe it to be like a picture of a monkey smoking a cigarette, right? Um, they're like little images, right? All it really is an NFT. All that is, is a digital receipt that points to something and says, I own that. That's what an NFT is. But what, what is it that you own? You own, you own that specific image that's hosted at this specific part of the internet. You can actually point to that and be like, that's mine. Now you can still right click it and download it, right? Whatever. But that original file, whatever is yours. Um, and so it's, it's like the prototype of a file basically or could, copy could, number one of a file. It's the, it's the location of that file. It's, it's a, it's a receipt that points to the thing and says, I owned it. I own this. Dude, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand NFTs at all. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter for, for the basis of this conversation, but it's a way to prove ownership. Essentially. It's a way to, okay. it's a way to prove digital ownership, digital ownership. It's a receipt of ownership essentially. Anyways, can, can it be also with audio? Does it have yeah. to be? Yeah. It, so it doesn't have to be just an image. This is what I, this is what I'm going to get into right now. Right. Okay. So, okay. so this guy, OMG Kirby, he, he mints is what they call it. He mints like 2000 songs as NFTs. Okay. So by purchasing one of these songs, these NFTs with some cryptocurrency, you gain exclusive access into this thing called a DAO which is a decentralized autonomous organization, which sounds really fancy. All it really is is a decentralized way to govern something. So to give you an example so you can understand this, right? So he, he mints 2,000 NFTs. These NFTs become keys to this club, this like governance club. These people join a community on Discord. They, because they have the NFTs, they can now vote on things happening. So this guy brings in um, 10 different songwriters and they all write a verse. And then the people who have the NFTs, which represent basically a vote in the community, vote on which verse they want to be in the song. Interesting. And then he, he gives them, you know, five, 10 instrumentals and they vote on what the instrumental is. Then they put the instrumental with the vocals together. Then they put the song on Spotify. They list omg kirby they list the person who wrote the lyrics and they list the dao itself as a writer of it so they all get kickbacks financially every time a song's played because they participated in the model of creating the song and the nft itself now that you own it right you own that song you technically own it people uploaded those songs that they now own to spotify and got picked up in algorithms and get paid for a song that they didn't write but they now own and now they can put it on spotify and get revenue so you can create your own record label essentially out of this technology right so this is a cool thing that i came across it's pretty confusing but it is um i'm trying to digest it's a lot yeah so basically this this guy he how did the people they they had to buy into the NFTs to be able to choose what the verses and the music sounded like, like the lyrics and the music sounded like? Sort of, sort of, right? So like, pretend there's like a is Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Okay. To get into Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, you need a golden ticket. This guy made two thousand golden tickets. You could purchase the golden tickets with the cryptocurrency. 
once you had um, a golden ticket, you could go into the factory and you could vote on what the next flavor candy should be. You could vote on what the next shape the candy would be. And then they would make that candy, they would put it out there, and every time that candy got sold and eaten, the factory made money, and the people who made the decision with the votes made money too. Okay, that makes sense with that analogy. Okay. I understand, I'm following you now. Okay. What I think about that in terms of music, I don't know how I feel about it, just in terms of the creative process though. Yeah. I'm all for an artist being able to make money. Yeah. You know, always. Yeah. Um, and it's very clever. But is it right to make something based on what the audience wants? Who knows? I mean, he makes his own music too. Yeah. You know, so yeah. yeah. Aside from that, I yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we're we're getting into a world now where everything is just it's interconnected. Right. It's always out there, and like. I wonder how many of the the labels down on Broadway, they probably have whole teams of people. Like they have like an NFT department or something, or at least they should. For sure. I've seen it spray painted on the the sidewalks down here, like Chill Cowboy Club. Someone from like Florida Georgia Line has their own like NFT thing now as well. Um, So there's ways to utilize it. It's all a matter of like the utility. Like what do you want to use this ticket for? Could be you know, exclusive access to a show, you know, you get the song early, could be voting things in this thing called a DAO. There's so many different things that you can do. Some of them are incredibly stupid and not worth anyone's time. But you have to understand this is like the very, very baby infancy stages of this technology. So people are just throwing shit at the wall and and just seeing what sticks, right? Some people are going to lose a lot of money, but a lot of people are going to stumble into something cool. A lot of people are going to find a business model that transcends the status quo and allows for them to do things they couldn't have done before with this technology. Um, so it's a give or take, but it's like baby stages. You can't judge the toddler cause it can't walk. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Even Steve jobs was a toddler once, right? Exactly. We think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't confirm. Yeah. True. Very true. Uh, what is the, the startup scene like in Nashville? Are there a lot of startups here? There's a surprising amount of startups here, I would say. Um, Historically, most of the new companies in Nashville have been in health technology. So you'll you'll see a lot of health tech companies out there. Um, In terms of like what we're doing, we're certainly an oddball in Nashville. Um, But there's a lot of cool people that I met almost immediately. It's it's a small but not that small group of people. You know, like you, you pretty much know everyone who has a startup in Nashville. Nashville's but, a small town. Yeah. You pretty much know like everyone. It seems that way. Yeah. It seems. Like, I always know someone who knows someone who knows someone or Kevin Bacon to yeah. the full extent out here. Yeah. Um, but it's surprisingly big, and the cool thing about it is how much everyone actually genuinely gives a shit about one another. Um, I know you originally gave me some questions. You were asking, like, what, what's it like compared to um, the Bay Area? And I have no idea, but I can compare it to Boston. And in Boston, it's very like set in their ways. You know, they don't want to hear the new thing. And oh, yeah. everyone is very competitive and cutthroat. And so you're sort of hesitant to share your ideas with people because people might steal that shit. In Nashville, people are like, how can I help? I would like to help you 
get this thing going because I know Nashville is on the verge of something cool and I want to do it faster. And I want, I know we can do it faster if we do it together. That's sort of what it feels like. It feels the same way with what I'm doing as well mm-hmm. in, ter- in terms of music. It's, it's a very supportive place as much as anywhere can be supportive though. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I think a lot of people, they move here and they, at least in terms of music, they, they show up and they're like, okay, I'm here now. Mm-hmm. I've already made it. I just got to wait. But it's nice when there is a culture and community of uh, just support. Because mm-hmm. um, like in, in Maine, playing music there, dude, you grew up in New England. You know what it's like. Yeah, for sure. Like in Maine, I'm very, very grateful for everything I got to do there. But I was about maxed out at 23 as far as I was going to take what I was able to do there, Mm -hmm. Um, which was I knew my future was teaching lessons, which is great. I love teaching lessons. I'm not saying anything bad about that. And then playing in a wedding band, which I had done once or twice, and I enjoyed it, but I was like, it's not what I want to do. You know, it's it's because you're playing all of these really fancy weddings for rich people from Boston and New York. Their kids are coming to get married in Maine in the summer and you make good money doing it. But it just wasn't the life Mm -hmm. for me. You know, and I've found I have a lot of opinions on on New England. I'm very grateful to come there, but I also feel like it's a very close minded place. It is, man. A bunch of drunk Irishmen designed that shit. Yep. Their, their whole MO, and I'm an Irishman myself, partially. There's where the shame comes from. It's like, you know, <laughs> we wear a really uncomfortable sweater for 50 years. We don't tell anyone about our emotions, and then a wee bit after we die. That's historically, like, the Irish mindset. So those are the people who designed Boston. Right? Yeah. Um, so they're just there's so much history there, and it's – neither good nor is it bad right but because there's so much history and tradition it's very hard to think outside the box and do things differently especially in the business and tech scene and i would imagine in the music scene as well um yeah well i found like Maine. people always ask me what maine is like and i tell them it's the country bumpkin version of boston (laughs) and i think that's a really accurate description Mm -hmm. um it's the Shire. You know what I mean? <laughs> I and do. nobody ever wants to leave the Shire. Why would you ever leave the Shire? <laughs> uh, what's out there? Nothing good. And there's people that I grew up with that I know that have never left the state of Maine. Really? Yeah. I like Maine, man. It was a great place to grow up. Yeah. Like, I grew up in Brunswick. And uh, how, do you know Brunswick? I feel like I'm familiar. There's new, there's new Brunswick and Brunswick. Well, Brunswick is where Bowdoin College is. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it's one town above Freeport where LL Bean is. Okay, that's right. how everybody knows. Gotcha. Knows it. And uh, historical fact about Brun- Brunswick, that's where Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. Huh. You learn something new every day. Yeah. That's like the random fact. There's like a Harriet Beecher Stowe house. And Civil War hero Joshua Chamberlain, he, I think he was like uh, the Dean of Bowdoin at one point. There we go. Um, But yeah, as as grateful as I am to 
to have grown up there, I also knew that in order to further myself, not aside from music and all of that, um, as a human being, I had to leave. Mm -hmm. I had to make myself uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said for being uncomfortable in in life because you get stuck in these thought patterns. Mm -hmm. And we're in a big city and we're in Nashville and that's all well and good, but you have to be aware of your own bullshit no matter where you are for sure but we're here in nashville we are and uh we're talking about all sorts of fun stuff we are um, i will say though i want to make one one little comment here about okay. nashville right so my, i have a buddy here named warren warren sturry story story i don't know he he's got this group around here called the tri-pillar society and he's done a bunch of cool events. He had Randall Carlson come down, who's been on Joe Rogan like five times and talks about like alternate history and stuff. Oh, yeah. He was just yeah, on. Yeah, he was just on. So my buddy Warren has had him down here to do like a classes on sacred geometry and things like that, which is which is really awesome. But he told me that Nashville was known back in the day as the Athens of the South. Like this was a hub for knowledge and, you know furthering oneself in education and things interesting like that. yeah 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 so well okay this speaks to the parthenon then. yeah yeah that's yep. why they built the well it was the olympics but the world fair or something like that yeah, yeah yeah it was it was something something along the there was some big world event that was happening in nashville and they built the parthenon it makes sense now why they built the parthenon yeah, they built a bunch of other they built the eiffel tower they built the pyramid right they built all this shit the here ori- in, in town yeah yeah the original parthenon was built out of wood i think and they knocked all the other stuff down but people loved the parthenon so much that they made them keep it and then they revamped it and made it like the actual only to scale parthenon that exists so it used to be wood it was just like for a world fair yeah they had eiffel tower Dude, great pyramid I, all that stuff my first year in nashville i went to um a festival that they, they were holding there mm-hmm. it was a flaming lips oh hell yeah it was fucking awesome i was it, I'll just say it's exactly what you'd imagine a flaming <laughs> show to be, but um, yeah, I have a very vivid memory of being at the Parthenon, like Wayne Coyne being up on stage, and just throwing all these balloons into the audience, and then popping confetti going everywhere. Everyone was on drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and my buddy, we tried to go to McDonald's after. It was probably like a half hour until close, and they saw all the people leaving the festival. And they lock the fucking doors. Dude. I was so pissed. But that that's just a tangent for another time. But it's interesting that uh, I'll have to do more research on that. Um, I had no idea Nashville had that yeah, man. reputation. It's cool um, stuff. It's really cool. But you know what? It makes sense because there's a lot of energy here. Mm, that's what I'm saying. The vibes. Fucking people are getting pulled in here, man. You didn't choose Nashville, motherfucker. This place shows, shows me. you. <laughs> it, it's funny that you say that because I, um, I actually used to come here into Tennessee in general when I was a kid because yeah. my grandfather lived in East Tennessee, okay, and my aunt and uncle have lived here my whole life. Mm-hmm. So we would come and visit them. It was once every couple of years, but I have very vivid memories of like walking downtown. Um, there used to be a carousel at the end of Broadway. Um, but Nashville, when I started thinking of places to move, I, I was actually living in Colorado 
Um, and I knew that Nashville was, I remember on the, the cab ride to the fucking airport <laughs> thinking I'm going to go to Nashville. I moved back home to Maine for a little while just cause I was trying to figure out my life. I mm-hmm. was 21. So, so in that ballpark and, uh, I was like, I, I know I wouldn't want to live in LA and I know I wouldn't want to live in New York. Plus the Black Keys and Jack White were here. And that was, I was like, the, the closest thing to what I want to do is happening in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can, you've driven by probably without even realizing it, the Black Keys studio like a million times. Probably. It's right on 8th Avenue. Okay. okay. Yeah. It, yeah. Like when you're leaving, uh, you know where Party Bell is? Yeah, uh, Church of Scientology. It's before that even. Uh, okay. So when you leave Party Foul, you know how you go under the, the bridge for the highway? Yeah. Okay. There's a giant empty lot to the left. They knocked a bunch of shit down. There used to be other stuff there. And there's this gray building. That's Easy Eye Sound. That belongs to Dan from the Black Keys. Dang. Yeah. So, but yeah, another tangent. It's all good, man. But no, I, I definitely, you know, thinking of it in those terms, like I didn't start the podcast until I, I moved to Nashville and I was just a huge podcast nerd big time. Like I've listened to Joe Rogan since 2011. Mm-hmm. Like I was in it, dude, mm-hmm. like right away. I was into all the fucking Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson shit talking about DMT and, and all of that. And, um, I had impulse quit this job. I was working. I was miserable and I thought the Poptimist would be a cool podcast name. And then my next thought after that was I should start a podcast. And that's how it started. There we go. And it wouldn't have happened, I don't think, unless I, I moved here. Maybe it would have. But Who's Nashville was definitely con- contributing to that. Okay, let's see here. So, Tiki, we were kind of talking about this new product that you ha- have coming out. Yes, sir. Um. It's going to be released soon, you were saying? Soon. Soon, yeah. Hopefully in the next week. Okay. Hopefully in the next week we'll get the first businesses using it. Okay. Yeah. And is it is it going to be something where it's direct to user? Are you going to be able to download this off the app store? How, do, how is it going to work? Sort of. There's There will be a Tiki application. The product that we are building right now is this thing called an SDK which is a software development kit. You don't really need to know that, but just defining it for the sake of defining it. It's technology that en- an engineer can drop into a pre-existing application. So when I gave you that example before about like you sign up for Netflix and a pop-up comes up and it's like, hey, you want 10% off your subscription in exchange for your watch data? Like that's native to the Netflix application. So you'd interact with Tiki, maybe without even knowing it as a part of, these other apps you already use. Okay. Yeah. That does make sense. So it's basically selling it to these companies and having them implement it. We give it, uh, we give it away for free to start. Interesting. The money will come. I think, you know, have you ever heard of Stripe? Sounds familiar. Uh, What is it? So Stripe is payments infrastructure for the internet. So pretty much 
a huge, huge percentage of online businesses, when you fill out that form where you put in your payment information, yep. that's through Stripe. Okay. So you, don't, you don't know that it's Stripe. It's just part of the thing that you're already on. So that's an SDK. That's like the best example I can give. Okay. An SDK, okay. I'm following. Right? So that's what we're doing. We're, we have this little thing that comes up, right? So in 2021, uh, iOS, Apple, for the first time, turned data tracking from default, data tracking from default on to default off. And so if you had an iPhone in 2021 and you opened up an application, it would say like, hey, do you give me permission to track you? And mostly everyone says no, right? So businesses are like, shit, like I don't have any more data and I can't make my product better and I don't know what to do. And I'm going to have to resort to drastic measures to get this data, right? So we're building a thing that allows for users to trade their data. You could pool it together with other people if you'd like and increase the value of it. You trade the data with companies. Companies give you something in return, right? And that way people are actually incentivized to opt into th these, you can call it data tracking, right? But now that it's an, ex it's an exchange, so a trade of goods, and you can negotiate, right? You can say no. You can say, I'll do it for this, but not for that. You can say, um, you know, you can use it for this purpose, but not that purpose. And then later on, you can be like, stop, I don't want you doing it anymore, right? So that's sort of the technology that we're building is this like negotiation tactic, call it like a bid-ask model, if people are familiar with that. Uh, What's a bid-ask model? The best example is like a, a like a farmer's market. Okay. Right? You yeah. Know, you go up and it's like, how much for the apple? And the guy's like, it's 15 cents. And you're like, how about 13 cents? And he says, deal. Yeah. Okay. That's basically what happens. Okay. Cool. Right? Um, so, yeah, that allows for people to actually un create a value for their data. So we're just building the infrastructure, the technology that allows for it. Um we're sort of like uh, filing the paperwork for a transaction that you're making, essentially. And there's a bunch of stuff under the under the hood that makes it work and go. But generally speaking, we let you trade data with companies. Yeah. And this is in anticipation of the market going this direction. People are more concerned about their privacy. Correct. What incentives do these companies have to, to follow through with this? A huge, well, number one, like you said before, people are more aware. If you screw up now, people are more inclined to leave your product and service. You get put on blast. Right, you get put on blast. Historically, companies are just like, whoop, you know, whoops. And then, you know, they just keep on doing the same thing that they do. Um, but the main thing is that because of this, these privacy changes at Apple and Google's following suit and all these other entities that are saying, you know, data tracking, def data tracking being default off instead of default on cost Facebook $230 billion off of their market cap because they're so reliant on the data for mobile ad retargeting and running Facebook business and things like that. So that's another huge incentive because before the opt-in rate, the opt-out rates, let me phrase it right. Before this change in Apple, you used to have to go into your phone settings, your app settings, and turn off which types of data manually. 
which types of data you're sharing manually. Only 20% of people opted out then. Now 80% of people do that. So it completely inverted. Those numbers completely inverted. And in that gap, in that number, are a bunch of small and medium-sized businesses who, like, say, depended on Facebook business to do their advertising and figure out who their consumers are. Now they're like, oh, shit. I don't have the same information anymore. And Facebook wasn't telling them how they got their insights, right? So you just pay for the Facebook service. They say, hey, you put this ad here, and you do that, and people, you know, magic happens. But now they're like, oh, shit, we don't have the information to tell you where to put the ad, so it's not going to do as good, and we're not going to tell you the algorithm on how to figure out how to do this on your own, right? So businesses are really just trying to get insights. They're trying to figure out who you are so they can sell to you better, right? And so if I'm, I don't know, if I'm fucking, uh, let's, let's do a topical example. If I'm Poindexter Coffee in the Graduate Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee, and you, Taylor, love Poindexter Coffee, you can agree to sell your data to Poindexter Coffee so that they can make better products and services for you, right? So that's the incentive from a user perspective. And from a business perspective, they actually get data that they want and need directly from the user. They don't have to do fishy, shady things. They don't have to be reliant on this Facebook model. They don't have to feel the enormous, enormous costs that came from these privacy changes. And more importantly, you can feel good about it because you're doing it in an ethical way in which people actually make informed decisions. Like it's informed consent. The user says you can have this in exchange for you giving me this. And if you don't do that as a company, right, then the user will just be like, okay, I'm not giving it to you anymore, right? So it keeps each side honest and provides a mutually beneficial relationship, hopefully for each party. Um, so there's a lot in there, but what does this mean? Like you gave a, a specific example of like a small business right. here in Nashville. Yeah. What does this mean? And this this might be the the wrong question to ask. I'm kind of working through it. What does it mean for small businesses mm -hmm. to have access to that data? Is it, does there have to be someone at a company who can decipher that? Is it third parties? Like can uh, I don't know. Uh, just like a, 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 there's a, a, a restaurant I love right down the street from here called Sam's Place. Right. Okay. It's my favorite restaurant in Nashville. It's a fantastic place. What does it mean for them? Do they have to, even though I'm, I'm opting in, it doesn't necessarily mean they even know what to do with the data. Do they have to have third, there's third party companies who analyze this data and consult them and tell them what's up? No. So, I mean, right now, yes. Like right now, if you're trying to decipher data, you need a data analyst. You need to clean the data. There's this whole laborious, cost costly process to get the derivatives out of data that you actually want. And so when I say data, businesses really want data. What I really mean is they want insights. They want the, the what does this data mean? What's the story behind this data? And so we actually have the technology to do that for them as well. Um, we have this big old thing called a knowledge graph and it basically anonymously marks, uh, events, things that happened. So if you opt into sharing 
your data goes into this big graph and anonymously it can be like hey this thing happens to this many people for example that action could be like someone opened an email with this title right that could be one data point it could be like a hundred people opened the email of these people 70 of them clicked on something in it of them 30 of them did this etc 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 so those insights are built into or i wouldn't say built into these insights are derived from this technology that we've already made so you wouldn't need a fancy data analyst to figure it out we can build out the use cases based on so you the, can spit it into english basically yeah pretty much and i'm doing like as best as i can to describe it because i'm not the tech guy at the endeavor no where no, i'm at no. you're doing so a, a fantastic job i'm trying my best but essentially like the main gist of it is to answer that question shortly some of the big problems right now for small businesses is they they don't know what data they need and when they get the data they don't know what how to use it yes and i think that's what i was trying yeah. to get at yeah and so part of our product is also that solution why are you passionate about this A little water break there. Um, <laughs> because the world runs on data, man. Like everything involves data in some capacity. It's like the most powerful thing out there in my opinion. And I always view data as a representation of me. Like my data is my story. That's one of the taglines that I had with my company. Like your data, your story. Like don't think of your data as bits and bytes of information that are floating around in some nebulous ether it's your story. It's you. It's everything that you've ever done. It's you. So don't you want to own your own story? Don't you want to make decisions about who gets to hear your story? Don't you want to get compensated when people benefit from your story in some way, shape, or form? That's the reason why I'm passionate about this project that we're doing. But the overarching thing is like people just giving a shit about themselves. That's really what it is from my perspective. Like when I say, and you talked about this before and touched upon it, like why wouldn't the CIA have access to this information, right? Blah, 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 right? I always assume the worst case scenario because I know history, you yeah. know? Like if you have a department whose job is to understand how people think, then you have the best people in the world who work for that company who understand how people think using the best software in the world that can analyze how people think getting the best data in the world about what people do right some somewhere that's happening and i think a lot of people have like the you know this will never happen here attitude like we're in america like we'll never be like china it's like we're we'll never be like rome we'll never hey. be like rome exactly right you know we're like right if someone wanted to right now we could have a social credit system everything that you do could be based on your actions they're and like, trying exactly you can't get into the mcdonald's because you said this thing on the internet that we don't like well in a, <laughs> in a way that kind of happened with COVID as far as the vaccines and masks and yeah. all of that yeah it was yeah it's a test run right like so if we're not careful that shit's coming. And how many people were just willing to bend the knee and go along with it? So many. So many still, right? Yeah. What, what time? You know, it's fucking November 2022, right? 
And so I'm not going to take a political stance here, but that's very much a clear indication of how easy it was for world governments to make people do exactly what they want to do. Um, the more that we get reliant on technology, right, there's a huge push to like, let's go to this cashless society, right? No more cash. Okay, well, if you make the currency digital, then someone can fucking shut that off on you, motherfucker. Because you they do, disagree with what you exactly. say. So you have to own your data. You have to own your story. We're going digital as fuck, no matter what. I don't know what the timeline is. We're going there. Things are going to be digital. And if we live in a world where you don't even own the information that you generate, then it's a sorry future. Um, one that I don't want to be a part of. Well, they do a creep. It's, it's, they do these big moves and I say they, like there's this, this ominous group out there. I mean, it's, it's many different groups, many different motivations, mm -hmm. but really I think the canary in the coal mine, I can take it back a couple of years was Alex Jones when he got kicked <laughs> off of everything. He was the test dummy, man. He was the test dummy. Agree or disagree with him. Here's the way it goes. They pick an easy target to start out with. Someone who says unpopular things, you know? And again, agree or disagree with him. I'm not here to make a judgment. But after Alex Jones got quote-unquote canceled, it started because he's extreme. He is absolutely extreme. For sure. Is Who's to say what's dangerous and not dangerous, though? Exactly. Yeah. Who is to say that Alex Jones shouldn't be heard? And what he has to say shouldn't be heard. Mm -hmm. He says some pretty loony stuff, for sure. He says some pretty fucking smart shit, too. Because yeah. He's been right on a lot of things. He's been right on a, exactly. Like, I remember before the whole Edward Snowden thing happened, I was listening to Alex Jones pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. Like, every day I was listening to him. And I've <laughs> always been entertained by him. I don't always agree with him, but I'm entertained. Mm -hmm. He's funny. And... When Edward Snowden, like right before that happened, Alex Jones was saying the NSA is tracking everything, every phone call, every text, even if they're not looking at it, they have access to it. Right. Which a lot of people say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Right. Of course they can look. Right. And I fundamentally disagree with that because, yes, these people right now might not be looking into what you're doing mm -hmm. but who's to say five years from now 10 years from now because mm -hmm. what alex jones was saying is there's entire nsa test facilities they're building in utah where they're tracking every fucking phone call in america to see what's up and of course it's always under the guise of moral panic 9-11 happened patriot act. The patriot act exactly and what did they call it the patriot act yeah it's for it's for your safety yeah and if you and the implied thing is if you don't support this you're not a patriot you know right. what i mean right like this is to this is for americans by americans yep never let a good tragedy go to waste mm -hmm. covid was another one of those situations mm -hmm. for your safety for your safety yes for everyone's safety yes or do you want to kill grandma exactly are you a grandma killer taylor berryman i'm a grandma killer <laughs> um because when covid happened i was like it was scary for the first couple of weeks, mm -hmm. for sure. You know, I was cautious for maybe like three weeks. Mm -hmm. 
And then once the news started coming out, well, if you're young and you're in good health and you're in good shape, you're not going to die from this. Chances are you are not going to die from this and it's not going to kill you. Mm -hmm. But that still didn't change. It's like this, this puritanism. You know what I mean? It's, it's the, the, and people always are like, oh, Salem witch trials. Like, there's a lot of crazy people out there. But if you look at history, this this is a historical moment. You know, and I, I always feel like people, they want to think that they're living in a bigger historical moment than they're actually living in for shit that doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Yeah, but we're fucking in it right now. We're deep in it right now. We're in it. And who is piloting this ship right now? You know what I mean? It, it doesn't seem like we really know what's going on. We're heading into a recession. We're in one. Like, I grew up during the, the Obama years. And again, this is not a, a judgment of Obama, but I remembered gasoline prices then because I was just driving and I was poor as fuck. Same. And that was like, ex- so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, man. I was... 91. I was born in 91. I was born in 91 as well. All right. So we're the same age. Um, But yeah, so it's like you're out, you're driving around. There was no jobs to really be had. It was hard to get even a fucking job at a grocery store. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a short-lived memory. Mm -hmm. But once the taxes come back fucking around, I feel like that's when Americans vote. You know, they're like, Pretty Fuck much. This. Yeah, it's like people don't care unless their front lawn's on fire, metaphorically yeah. speaking and literally speaking. And it happened in 2020. It did happen in 2020. And it's like, you know, I, I want to comment on a few things that you said. So the the attitude that like, oh, well, like I'm not doing anything wrong. So why does it matter? Here's what's wrong with that. You're making the standard that even if you're doing anything wrong, that it, you're not doing anything wrong, that it's completely normal for the government to look at your shit. That's what you're saying. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. Right. So that makes the standard as low as possible. Yeah. Right. That's why that's wrong. Um, and then about the Snowden stuff. Now, I'm not a Snowden guy. I'm a Julian Assange guy. I like to think it about like, what do I know about Hollywood and who they making movies about? Right. They're making movies about Snowden. He's the hero. Uh, Julian Assange is in jail. Uh, so I'm more inclined to believe Julian Assange is on the right track versus Edward Snowden. Anyway, WikiLeaks, you can fucking look that shit up. Yeah. You can see everything. You can see the technology that they use, see the emails motherfuckers were sending each other, you know, shit like that. And then, you know, the thing that boggled my mind completely is um, during the, was it the primaries for Biden, Biden v. Trump? Some dude was like, yeah, I have like fucking Hunter Biden's laptop and they're like funneling money into the Ukraine. Yeah. And they're like, oh, like you're banned from Twitter, New York Post. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is a super old newspaper. Uh, like a news establishment in America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, it, it's interesting to, to look at all of that shit. And it's like, everybody has an opinion on Donald Trump. I've, I've talked about it on the show, like my own political beliefs. I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. But honestly, there was some things that Donald Trump did that were good. There, there, there was also things he did that were stupid and bad. But in terms, like, the thing that rubbed me the wrong way was he had a chance to pardon Assange and to pardon Snowden, and he didn't do it. He did not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. It's tough. But things are always more complicated than they seem, yeah. I think. Um, 
you know, from a political perspective, it's like, I was just really upset in the Biden Trump thing that like, they just wouldn't let you hear all the information. That's the annoying part, you know, like forget about the politics, but like, okay, if there's important information that's directly relevant. Well, they're saying our data is not important. You don't need to look at this. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's, it's just wackiness, you know, and to tie this all together, the wackiness is like the person at the wheel of the world right now is like drunk and on a rampage. Yeah. Right. Um, but like you, you're driving your own car. You have to take control of your own life. You have to value your own role in society and you have to actually stand up, right? Like the American revolution started in fucking taverns, like green dragon taverns where people just met up and they were just like, yo, we got to get out of this crazy system that we're in we got to do it like you and i at this table it's us and so that's the attitude that i have for everything that i do especially with this business it's like there's no deus ex machina no one's coming to save us like it's always been us we're the ones who are going to set ourselves free the same tools that enslaved us will be the same same tools that free us just a matter of perspective um and so if you look at the world, you look at history and you're squinting your eyes a little bit, I'm talking to the people out there, if you're squinting your eyes a little bit and be like, hmm, something doesn't feel right here. Something's a little bit fishy. Maybe you might want to look into that. Trust and your gut. Trust your gut and actually do something about it. Uh, it's scary, man. It's vulnerable even having a conversation like this from my perspective. Um, but... It's just drawing a line in my life and taking agency. And this is one of the ways that I get to do it. Um, One way that I can positively contribute to people taking back control of their own lives. Um, Because if you don't take control of your own life, there's plenty of people out there who want to control you anyway, to control your life for you, I should say. So a man without a plan is no plan or no man at all. Correct. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about your podcast, Tiki Talk. Yeah, it's nothing like this. <laughs> <laughs> I get to be a guest on this shit. Um, so it started because we wanted to update our users about what's going on um, internally at the company. So I was writing a bunch of blogs and stuff like that, and I wanted to streamline that process and invite people into you know the Tiki lifestyle in a more I don't know like encompassing way like hearing our voices is different than me typing and you reading it on a screen 100% so that's why we started it and it gradually grew into having guests on who you know had a little bit of a background in data or or were in Nashville right and this was the your data your story portion of it that I thought of where it's like hey let's just have people come on and tell good stories right because your data is your story if we can use this as a vehicle to help people conceptualize data as a story, then like, let's try this out. So it's sort of taken a few forms throughout the year. I would say the year that I've been doing it, that we've been doing it. Um, But there's one bi-weekly one that is my founder, Mike and I just talking about what's going on with Tiki. And then I have another one where I bring guests on. Um, Historically, it's been a bit all over the place trying to tighten it up a little bit, especially in these coming weeks as we have this SDK coming out and this technology really trying to make ourselves look like, you know, thought leaders is what they would call it. So have the appropriate content out there so that when people see our brand name 
or if you know our SDK is in an app they use and they see like powered by Tiki or something, if they look us up, they understand what's going on. So the podcast is just a vehicle for getting good content out there right now that educates people, engages them, entertains them, and more importantly, creates a easy to digest way for them to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. What do you think of Elon Musk taking over Twitter? <laughs> uh, it's certainly funny. It is funny. I like follow. I like how much he tweets. He like respond to people. It's funny. I I love that shit. Um, it remains to be seen, but I think as of right now, it's a net positive. Um, I don't know if I can forecast into the future, but my personal experience right now is Twitter is more fun than it was three months ago. So take that for what it's worth are you an optimist or a pessimist i'd like to say i'm a realist which obviously usually tends toward being pessimistic about certain things but overall overall like in the grand grand scheme of thing of things i'm an optimist where can people find you at where can people find me so i am very uh what's the word for it i'm like jd Solinger on the internet i'm getting out there more and more uh, not not as reclusive, but if you want to check out Tiki, mytiki.com is the website that'll link to everything that we're doing. Our Twitter's on there, Instagram, Discord community, that's all there. Uh, I'm sort of vaguely on Twitter. I think it's Shane underscore Faria if you're really inclined to talk to me. If you want to email me, Shane at mytiki.com. But generally speaking, mytiki.com is where you're going to find a lot of the information if you want the podca- podcast and the, and the blog content, it's simply blog.mytiki.com. And that also links off the homepage too, if you want to check that out. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Taylor, for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a great time. This was very educational. <laughs> I hope so. Stumbled a little bit in there, but you know how it is. Hey, man, that's what it's all about. It's real. Exactly. That's what matters. Exactly. Keep on dreaming. See you next week. Free Julian Assange. <laughs> Thank you.